0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Santhi Esteban, and I am one of your hosts. And today we are here with Leona Menitz, and we're going to talk about making changes in organizations that have a lot of moving pieces because you've spent a lot of time in the healthcare space, working with a lot of dentists, and there is so many moving parts that I think a lot of business owners can really learn from. So Leona, thanks for spending some time with us today.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome. I'm happy to be here, actually. It's always nice when you can help other entrepreneurs in even a small way. So even though I work mostly with healthcare professionals, dentists, and medical professionals, the things I'm going to talk about can be applied to any business. If you have to go through a board or a CEO or you have to have multiple decision makers, this process will work for you beautifully.
0: Yeah, before we get into some of that, because I think that's super important, I'd love for you to catch us up on how you got there, though, because you have a wealth of experience and decades of experience, and you know you definitely put your 10,000 hours in. Catch us up on how that got there. I'm sure it wasn't a straight line, but fill us in on some of the gaps, and then we can talk about some of the tactical things that you've been doing. Certainly.
1: So in 1979, I became a consultant, so now you know how old I am. But the reason I did is because I owned my own office. Op- shop that did one day service optical. I was in who's who of Arizona for being the first to do that. I didn't have a clue on how to structure a business. I knew how to make a pair of glasses. I knew how to sell them or, you know, all of that, anything technical. But I had absolutely no experience in running a business. And after 13 years of struggle, I gave up and closed the doors. So I decided to work for a practice management guru in dentistry. It was close to optical. One was eyes and the other teeth, but basically the same kind of thing and learned how to manage a dental practice. And then from there, I learned specifically how to integrate Oral systemic health into dentists, so which is a whole new thing. I was the first to bring in to the United States uh, CO2 laser for periodontal disease. So I'm an innovator. I'm not afraid to be the first on my block, and I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs are that way. You know, they have some secret sauce or some magic that helps them to compete with the big boys. Part of what I'm sharing today is that, but. As I started working with oral systemic health, I realized that there wasn't any good home care. So I decided to make my own. So I now manufacture Clean Kiss for oral systemic health and everything I do is guaranteed. So this is guaranteed to improve gum health or I give you your money back. Now you have to have a hygienist collaborate that. You can't just say it. You have to have your hygienist contact me and say, nope, this didn't work for them. It's yet to happen since 2014 that I gave the money back because it didn't work. And similarly, in my coaching side, I'm confident, so confident in what I promise that I do something very rare that differentiates me, and that is offer a guarantee. Now, I don't give a money back guarantee, but I work with them for free until they reach their goals, until they reach what we have determined to do. So this process kind of helps me with healthcare professionals because they know the difference between an assessment, a cursory exam, and a comprehensive exam. They already know the difference. So I'm speaking their lingo. But that same idea of what is the difference between those would help anybody selling a comprehensive program to sell it, to help clarify their clients' needs, desires, and set goals.
0: I'd love to take a step back and maybe give some more context or just kind of re-highlight to the listeners what I thought I heard you saying, which is that in your space, in your industry, you have services that you're providing, but it seems like people might have a little more, perhaps let's just call it attachment. It's their teeth, it's their health, right? If you buy something at Walmart and it doesn't work, okay, there's a certain amount of frustration that comes from that. But if all of a sudden, your dental or your work doesn't go well, or surgery or whatever it is in the healthcare space, there's a little bit more urgency to that. And I would imagine that organizationally, you have to work a little harder, perhaps to make sure that those results are actually happening, that you are creating, you know, it's not like you can just say, oh, well, you know, you (laughs) get another tooth or get another arm, you know, it seems like the stakes are a little higher. And thus the attention to your systems need to be a little bit higher.
1: Yeah, you're spot on. And couple that with this, a typical dentist comes out of school, works for somebody else for two years, because they can't get a loan until they prove they're not going to hurt somebody. Then they get a loan because they hate where they're working. They typically work in a clinic, a big practice that has multiple dentists, and they hire the young kids to work the nights and evening hours. And so they get their experience under their belt, but they hate it. They hate the whole concept. They don't have enough time to work with patients, and this is not what they went to dental school to do. So they finally get a loan for their own practice, and that loan typically is a million dollars or more. Now they're one and a half million dollars in debt and they haven't even opened the doors. Now they open the doors. So the only model that they know how to do is the one they hate. The vicious cycle is they got out of that environment to create their own practice based on their philosophy, on their protocols. And they end up replicating what they hate because they don't know the difference. Because of that, Practice management consultants are a dime a dozen. We have a saying, 30 slides and 30 miles, you're a consultant. It's very difficult to help the dentist to know that you're credible, that you're for real. So I have immense competition The dentists are confused. They don't know how to hire somebody. They don't even know what they need, but they know what they don't want. They may not know what they want. So the process helps them to become clear as to what's their fastest path to success. That's usually into four areas, money, time, quality of life, or quality of patient care. If they're stressed and they hate going to work on Monday, that's obviously quality of life, but they're Fearful of slowing down because they got all these loans to pay. And so they got to cram as many patients as they can in, which creates a whole bunch of other issues for them that's attached to that. Where do they start? How do they measure it? And how do they know they're successful is a big part of what I do. Yeah.
0: One word that comes up that you guys have a word for it, and that's efficacy. Is there a similar word in the business lexicon, right? Maybe it's NPS score, or I don't know. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, efficacy is very simply completing a process with an intended result. That's all it is. Some people call effectiveness the same thing. It's not really because effectiveness is doing it in a specific way for an intended result. With a team, it's not just getting it done by a certain result. So, efficacy is a big word because this is how insurance companies, you know, the procedure do what it was intended to do. Okay. There's a lot around the word efficacy, but for people that aren't dentists or don't work with healthcare, it's just did you do what you intended to do?
0: It's kind of like a pass or fail almost, right? Like, did you complete the process?
1: Yeah, you can even rate it. In fact, I'm offering an assessment, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's basically rating it one to five. One being, this is rare. It hardly, I don't even know what you're talking about, Leona. You know, you asked this question and I don't have a clue. And five being, I've got this nail. So with efficacy, there's levels of efficacy too. I'll give you an example of that. Implants. Everybody wants to get implants now. It's the new latest thing. But if you put implants in a dirty mouth to start with, it's going to fail. It's just a matter of by when. And yet it won't fail for 10 years. And so what happens, the patient never understands what caused the failure. And that's the whole point. What caused the situation? We have a cause and then we have a root cause. So they're different. That's the process that they're familiar with that I just turned into my management comprehensive exam instead of a patient comprehensive exam. To your point, every space in business has verbiage that they can relate to. And that was my point. Use verbiage that relates to your space.
0: Yeah, this is really fascinating. When we get back from break, I want to talk about these parallels because I'd imagine that In healthcare systems and in these kinds of systems, there's a lot of, I don't know if it's hierarchy is what you call it, but you mentioned decision makers and being able to move these processes through and to be effective or to have efficacy in the midst of that, I would imagine requires a little bit of foresight or art or wisdom. That seems like its own bag of hairy tricks. And so- um,
1: It's It's not as magical as you think once you know how to read statistics. Almost any business can pull out the statistics that they need in order to predict what's going to happen, create a model around it, build protocols around it, which is simply this is how we're going to do it, build systems around it. So this is who's going to do it, what, when and how you can build everything. There's every number you need in most CRMs or most practice management software in my space, that will get you everything you need, but you got to know how to read them. And that's where the magic comes in. It's not the numbers, it's what do they mean.
0: Yeah, this is great stuff. We're going to drill into a little bit more, more the system management and system architecture and what goes into that, because I think there's a lot of crossover, but we're going to get into that right after this quick break. Hey y'all, today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media, and our mission is to bring out your genius. And so if you have a mission, a message, a platform, a purpose, something that you want to bring to the world, we can help. Go to amplifymedia.com, that's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y media.com to see how we can help with all of your media, podcasting, and content needs. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, Leona. So let's talk about, I think one of three things has happened. The first is that people are either scared and they realize that, oh, oh, shoot, I need to do something. And it's coming from a place of fear. The second thing is that maybe it is a realization, right? There's not a sense of fear, but it's okay. Here's what's next. And then the third might be, I don't know if people are even ready. Like I don't know if there's a place where all of a sudden this starts to matter more. But where do we go from here?
1: Right. So the first place to go is if you look at the free assessment that I did, that helps you realize what your skill set is. It's a CEO. It's called a skill wheel. And it basically asks you 10 questions for each. So that's 50 questions total. There's five engines that drive a practice or drive a business. It's not even a practice, right? You have finance, you have marketing, you have sales. You have operations and you have human resources. What happens is symptoms pop up. And like you said, it's like sometimes the symptoms are, I just can't deal with this anymore. It's like if you have a toothache, you finally have to go to the dentist. But if you could recognize that those symptoms can be mitigated if you make changes in something that you won't have to be in pain. And I love that you brought that up because, you know, oh, I need help. That's pain, right? We have a specific pain. But what happens is, in my world, the dentists are so happy making money. They're making money. They're paying their bills. They're going round, 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 round. They think it's never going to end. And what happens is they plateau. They get to the ceiling. And when they do, they have to hire another associate, hire another employee, get a bigger building, outfit another treatment room. what happens to their profit when that happens? Every time they have to expand, which there's two types of scaling. When you talk about scaling, one is just more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And we just, as long as we make more than we spend, we're good. Okay. That's called the production model in my world. The other way to do it is profitability model, where we increase by 15% a year without seeing more patients. You can do that. There's two ways. Increase your sale. So instead of an average sale being what insurance covers, which is $1,000, now all of a sudden the sale is $5,000. You just cut your need for four patients, right? You got the same amount for one patient as you did for five before. So this is the profitability model. I teach how to move from the production model to the profitability model, but they first have to realize how much is enough. So once you figure out what your skills are and you rate those and you say, oh my gosh, I'm not that bad in human resources. I have a good team. I don't have turnover. I've got systems in place for that, but man, oh man, do I suck at the sales process.
0: This is brilliant. And this idea of the profitability model because so many business owners do the same thing where they just try and sell more, 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 and more, not realizing that they're actually making less. Exactly. Okay. So this is a grant. Keep going.
1: Okay. So let me give you an example. The doctor doesn't really have much pain, but he's working harder and harder. His schedule is totally full and he has to work five days a week. He knows it's possible to work four days a week, but he doesn't have a clue about how to do that. So they have some kind of desire. They have to understand their current reality, and most of them don't. They go off into their treatment room and see patients all day. They have no idea what's happening at the front desk. They have no idea what's happening with the insurance companies. They have no idea what's happening in the hygiene room. They don't because they're focused. And thank goodness they are. I want my dentist focused on my mouth. I don't want him worried about the hygiene department, right? So they're so focused that they don't even know that the storm is building. It's bubbling. After they take the skill wheel test, the next thing is to decide how much is enough, how much money is enough, how much do I really need, because otherwise you'll never reach it, there'll never be enough. You just want more and more and more and more and more, greed takes over in a sense, and you never never reach that. So deciding what's most important, how many days a week. And that falls into those four categories. How much money would be in, you know, that money block. How much time am I willing to spend for that is the time block. How much quality of life, you know. I had a doctor who just said, I just want to pick up my kids from school every day. I want to have that freedom. He's a big guru now. When I started, his average case was pretty much $2500 he could get a little bit more than what insurance covered now his average case is $40,000 wow but that didn't happen in 90 days you know he worked with me he's still working with me i mean you can imagine he's always going to another level but there's certain things he knows i don't want to work more than this many hours a week i don't want to deal with a bunch of staff issues he knows what he doesn't want through the assessment process through the comprehensive exam process i show him what's possible for him so you know you have enough patience to do this one more example i had a husband and wife who were divorced and they owned the same practice and they wanted to sell the practice or split the practice but they didn't think they could without ruining their cash flow so i showed them they were opposite personalities they had opposite values. She wanted the insurance driven in and out. She didn't want to have to go to classes to learn how to do full mouth reconstructions. She wanted that production model, but she wanted it efficiently. He wanted to be a level four practice, which is a specialty practice, even though he's a general dentist. So he wanted completely opposite and I was able, it's like separating Siamese twins, but I was successful at doing that He has a sleep apnea-only focused practice, and she's still taking insurance at $1,200 a pop, and they're both happy. Understanding your philosophy is how much is enough, how much in terms of time, money, quality of life, quality of care. In the beginning, a dentist, and I think this is true of most entrepreneurs, they'll work 24-7 if they think it's going to help them pay their bills because they're just starting out, but they can't sustain that and have a life. So we talk about what kind of life do you want, how much will it cost you to get there, and by when. If you're selling the practice tomorrow, I can't help you. You got to have five years left in practice to get what you want typically. So defining your lifestyle in those four areas, money, time, quality of care, and quality of life, not necessarily in that order. Defining that That's the second thing. So the first place to start is measure your skill so you know what your bandwidth is. Then define where you want to be. And then the third thing is look at the comprehensive exam, looks at those four engines independently with statistical empirical data. This is not your opinion because your opinion is influenced by the last person you saw in your chair, the last appointment you went on, or your last client you recruited. We want to look at for patterns of behavior and for specific statistics for each engine. Well, before you even do that, back up one little step. Before you even do that, you have to know who are the stakeholders. Sometimes it's your spouse. Sometimes it's an office manager. Sometimes it's combination. It's your hygienist. It's, it's the technical people that do the business. Sometimes, Most times it's a combination. You don't even know if they're on the same page with you in the beginning. So once you define it for yourself, we need to s- define it for them. What kind of increases do they want in money, time, quality of life, quality of care for themselves? I have staff members that make more on The rest of the world would call it commission. That's a no-no in professional, but basically we meet a certain goal and you get a piece of it, whatever you call it. They make more in that than they do their base salary. You know, this can grow as much as the dentist wants it to, the leader wants it to. If you're a CEO of a business, but I have to find the person that writes the checks. I've listened to so many people that say, start from the ones that do the work. Start with your assistants and your hygienists and your office managers, and then talk to your dentist. It's never worked for me because they're as hard to get a hold of as the dentist is, and they don't want to work after hours. The dentist will give me a call after the practice has closed. No self-respecting hygienist would do that. I never have figured out how to build inside teams that would buy this from me, because it's a small business. It's usually got five to 10 employees. if you're dealing with a board or something like that, you may need some inside salespeople. But I've never been able to do that. The hardest part of my job is getting that dentist on the phone or the owner dentist on the phone. And I work with private practices. I don't work with corporate-owned businesses. Getting him on the phone, there has to be a reason You can't get him on the phone and slap him on the back and say, I'm your buddy, I'm your friend. It doesn't work. You have to have a process that says, "Okay, ask: are you willing to let me ask you some questions that help you to define what you want for your practice two years from now? No further than that, just two years. And if they are, then we clearly define that. And why don't I say five years or 10 years or when you retire, whatever it is, it's too far out. In today's world, I mean, throw all your five-year plans out the window when COVID hit. You have to focus on more immediate goals and plans and then regroup and revamp them. Does that give you kind of a step-by-step of what to do before you even do anything structurally?
0: Yeah, I think it was a great blueprint, you know, or a checklist, if you will. One thing that I'm curious about, and I'm sad that we left this to the end to squeeze it in here, but this idea between an offer and an assessment. And I know you've mentioned a few times that if people want help, they can go take this assessment and we'll give the link and we'll put it in the show notes. And you can talk a little bit about that. But before you talk specifically about your offer and assessment, I'd love for you to Talk about just generally the value in doing some sort of assessment or exam as a way to bring clients in.
1: Right. So an assessment is a subjective quiz questionnaire that points to a symptom. It can also be an assessment, could be a 20-minute conversation where your prospect explains what their pain is. You know, this is what hurts, Doc, right? Basically. So that's an assessment. It's subjective. The cursory exam is like everybody's gone to the dentist and they've gotten their teeth cleaned and the doctor just comes in for five minutes and takes a look. That's a cursory exam. He's just looking for major obvious symptoms that maybe don't hurt yet, but it's a quick look at the cause of a particular symptom. Okay, this hurts here. So my example is that I have, somebody who, if they just do the assessment, they try to fix it themselves and they don't have a clue about how to, they don't look any deeper than just fixing what they think is wrong. The cursory exam says, okay, I have team turnover, so I need to find better team. So Leona, I'm going to hire you to help me find better team. Well, I wouldn't hire him unless he did a comprehensive exam because it may not be the team he's hired. If he's turning over person after person after person, it's probably because he hasn't clearly defined their job description. He doesn't have an onboarding agreement or a process an offer letter, an onboarding letter. And I recommend at least two weeks working interview because people can say anything in an interview. But you're going to invest a lot of time, money, and energy into this person. You want to make sure that they can do what they claim they can do. So that's all in human resources, right? But then we find out that there's no meeting structure. There's no morning huddle that tells us what we're going to do for the day. Well, why isn't there a morning huddle? Well, there's no time to do it. So when we do schedule it, the doctor doesn't even show up. He doesn't get there in time. So now you're in an operations point. You're in a leadership point right it's not just human resources and that's what a comprehensive exam shows us it shows us the root cause this doctor is too busy to pay attention to his team and he's got a revolving door as a result the root cause is fix the sales process he can get more per patient, so he doesn't have to cram so many patients in. So he has time for his team to communicate to them what he wants, educate them, bring them along. And now he's not looking for the right team. He's developing the right team with people that he has. Now, are there team members that aren't the right team? Absolutely. But most of the time, there is no perfect team member that you got to constantly search for. They're right in your office already, and you just don't know how to pull it out of them. That just gives you an example. An assessment is subjective. A cursory exam only looks at the problem at hand, and a comprehensive exam looks at all five engines, looks for links between one engine to the other so they can determine root cause. So to finish out, that's how you can confidently guarantee results. If you're not doing a comprehensive exam, you're not confidently doing anything. But when you do a comprehensive exam, you know what your results are going to be, especially if you have tracked those statistics with other clients.
0: Yeah, it gives you the full lay of the land is really what you're doing and helping to see around as many corners and blind spots as possible. It's fantastic. Leona, you mentioned that you have, I don't want to misspeak, an exam or an assessment or what you would consider, but something to help. Can you talk a little bit about that and where people might be able to find it?
1: Yeah. So go to go, this is all one word, go as the opposite of stop. Well, as in opposite of sick, go well net like fisherman's net, all one word, gowellnet.com forward slash quiz. And that'll take you right to the quiz. Just give me your email. If you don't want anything else from me than the quiz, I don't care. I'm not going to bug you with a bunch of, you know, spammy stuff. But if you'd like to talk about it, you will have my email as well. And we can set up a 20-minute call to talk about what your assessment actually means.
0: I love it. Very cool. And we'll put those all in the show notes so you guys can check the links for that. Is there anywhere online that people can go and get connected with you? Or do you uh, dabble on the socials?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. On LinkedIn, that's how you and I got in touch. You can request time with me and I'll be happy to set a call with you and we can go from there. And I can also send you a link so we can find a joint time.
0: Very cool. Leona, my last question for you is in your opinion, and usually I say, you know, what's the secret for a business, but maybe it's a practice here. But in your opinion, what is your secret to growing or scaling a business or practice?
1: Okay, I just gave it to you. By guaranteeing results, people are more likely to buy. By clearly identifying how they're gonna get those results through your comprehensive exam, they're gonna be able to do what they need to do. That way they're gonna reach the results you promise. Now I underpromise and over-deliver. So I know a typical client of mine is gonna make thirty thousand dollars in a quarter of added profit or revenue. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's both. They're going to get that. I know that. That's the minimum result they're going to get. I'm charging them $7,500 for a three-month coaching program. They're going to get a 400% return on the investment, right? I know they're going to get that. They might get more, but If they do what they're supposed to do, that is clearly outlined, show up for calls, you know, have your team meetings, follow the structure, right? If they do what they need to do, now, if they don't know what to do, and I haven't explained it well, ask me, raise your hand. Don't wait till the end of the three months and not get results, you know? I'll hold your hand with small bites so that we can, my job is to help you manage change seamlessly is the goal. That's it.
0: Yeah. I love that. The results, the guarantee, and then the process to get there. I think it's a great one-two punch. Thank you everyone for sticking with us. I appreciate you guys hanging out with us. If you guys got any value out of today, we'd appreciate a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone who is in the midst of scaling their business or thinking about starting one, please send them this episode and then go out and take action. At least one thing. There's a ton here. Go back, review it and find one thing that you can implement. Let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear it. And as always, thanks for being a part of the How to Scale a Business tribe. We'll see you on the next one. Later,
1: y'all. Thanks, Vector.